This morning we are continuing our series in John's epistle, the Apostle John's epistle to the Ephesian church and then the churches in Asia Minor, known as Turkey. This became a circular letter, a letter, a letter that, that traveled to churches, but particularly it was written to the Ephesian church. And we have been studying this letter that John has written. John is, by reminder, just he is an older man. He's an octogenarian. He's in his 80s. He's been around a long time. And he is a man that really is characterized by a deep and abiding love for his church. He has a pastor's heart. And he is a man who likes to speak bluntly. And he likes to tell it like it is. And so as we study this morning, we will, I think, find both those characteristics speaking to us. Let's begin by reading the passage. And if you would follow along with me, we're in chapter 4. And let's begin in verse 1. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, we, we come to your word this morning very much aware that these are words that you are speaking. And in that vein, Lord, we at this moment each choose and commit to submitting ourselves to your word. And Lord, we ask that your word, through the working of your spirit, would open our minds, bring illumination, that we might see more clearly who you are, that we might see more clearly who we are in relation to you, and that we might see more clearly how we can best live for your glory. Lord, now by your spirit, please help us to learn. And Father, help me to, to preach, to serve these dear people, to serve the beloved. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> In 1 John 3.24, which was the last verse of the passage we studied last week, John says this, the very last part, he says, And by this we know that he, speaking of God, he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is a wonderful letter. There are a number of themes in this letter, but the one 
overarching letter or theme of this letter, the one overarching thought that John just pastorally hammers home again and again. And as you see, he calls these people beloved. He calls these folks little children. This one overarching theme is this, that we be assured we are God's, that we be assured we are from God, that we be assured that we belong to God, that we are assured that God abides in us by his Spirit. And as I was talking to someone last week after the message, um, you know, this individual who's a wonderful, strong believer just said, you know, I've never struggled with assurance. I've always been assured in my faith. And, and I understand that. There are those who, who just never struggle with their assurance. They, they feel firm and remain firm in, in their faith. And yet, John writes this letter because he's aware that we go through seasons of life and, and where we may always be at, at base level we know we're, we're born again. We know we belong to God. There are seasons where we can, we can struggle, we can doubt. There are seasons where, you know, if we're walking through an area of, of weakness, an area of sin that we've been struggling with, um, the accuser of the brethren is right there beside you just hammering away at, are you really a Christian? Or at least, are you really a good Christian. Maybe, maybe you're just skating by the skin of your teeth. And, and when you get to heaven, the possibility exists. God may just go, hmm, not sure. And, and that is what John is after. John wants to assure us. And so now in chapter four, he goes further on explaining how we can be assured, how we can know we're filled by God's spirit by, by contrasting the lives of, of former members who are the false teachers who are preaching a different gospel, he's contrasting their lives with true evidences of a spirit-filled life. God has given us his spirit, John is writing, but what he's also telling us is there are other spirits active in the world. And John follows his command to believe in in. Chapter 3, verse 23, he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. He, he follows this command to believe with a command in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So believe in Christ, but be aware, be discerning. Do not believe in every spirit, the spirit of the world. Because not every spirit is from God. There are many who do not have God's spirit, who are not genuinely born again, who are not true believers. And, and John says this because if you look again in verse 1, he says, you know, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets. In other words, there's this inundation of of false teaching. There's this inundation of people who are out in the world who, who have the spirit of the age, who are proclaiming what they say is truth, which is absolutely not truth. It's in opposition to the gospel, and it's just coming at people very fast. Ephesus was a city. Uh, it was an international city, and there were, there were many different religious sects in there. There were many different philosophies, and, and it's just this church is, is being, in a sense, bombarded. In just a week, the new 
Star Wars movie is coming out. And, and dating myself, I remember in May of 1977 when the very first Star Wars movie came out. And I saw it in Bethesda at one of these big screen theaters. And, and I, was, I had no idea what the movie was about. The friend that took me was telling me it's just like the greatest movie ever. And, and so I'm sitting there and, and I, I transformed from a 22-year-old to a 12-year-old in about five seconds. The moment that that Carillion Cruiser comes onto the screen and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It was just, it was one of those moments you just, I just never have forgotten. And, and even when I watch Star Wars again, I just wait for the cruiser to come. I want that same odd feeling of, of this, this movie. But one of the, one, one of the, I think hallmarks of the movie that all of us might remember the first time we saw it was when um, the Millennium Falcon is being chased, and that's the first time ever they go into hyperdrive. Do you remember that? And it's just you have no idea what to expect, and Han Solo and 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 the Wookiee punch all the buttons, and all of a sudden it's like shoot, and it's like millions of stars coming at you at once, and it's just it's just. There's nothing like it in the world when, that, when you have that experience. And that is what these folks are experiencing here. It's like going into hyperdrive with all this false teaching, the spirits of the world just coming at them. And so John is writing to assure them, hey, with all the noise and with all the bombardment, okay, let's get down to basics. Let's get down to basics because this church, in a similar way, is, is bombarded with false teaching. And it's coming at them at a dizzying rate. And it's creating confusion and doubt about what they believe with respect to the gospel. In, and in the face of what, of what John says are many antichrists, he commands these beloved Christians, stand firm in what you believe. You know, in verse 23 of chapter 3, he says, we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Know what you believe. And to ensure that they do so, he, he tells them, listen, test, in verse 1, do not believe every spirit. Know what you believe, what I just told you, but test the spirits to see. Test them to see whether they are from God. Test the teachings to see if they stand up to gospel truth. And in our day and age, and in the culture that we live in, we must do the same. We must apply the same test. So here is my proposition this morning. We can be assured we have the Spirit of God if we believe the apostolic gospel. Now, you might ask, what do, what do I mean by apostolic gospel? What I mean is the gospel that was given to and through the apostles. The apostolic truth. We can be assured we have the Spirit of God if we believe the apostolic gospel. We can be assured that we belong to Christ, that we have the Spirit of God. That's what tells us we belong to Christ. We have the Spirit of God. And how do we know we belong to Christ? John offers three evidences in this passage to assure us, once again, to assure us this is how you know you belong to Christ. And those three are, we can know because we confess that the incarnation is true. 
Secondly, we can know because we overcome the spirits of the Antichrist. And number three, we can know because we listen to the truth of Scripture. Those are the three evidences. We can know because we confess. We confess that the incarnation is true. We, we are a confessional church. We confess what is truth from the Scripture, what is historic. We can know because we overcome the spirits of the Antichrist. And when he means spirits, he's not thinking in the terms of mysticism and you know, the, all the spirits that came out of the Ark of the Covenant when you saw raiders of the lost Ark and they're floating all around and eating people up and melting their faces and all that. That's not what he's, he's talking about. He's talking about people, the many false prophets, the many false teachers. We can know because we overcome what they teach. And we can know because we listen to the truth of Scripture. Throughout his letter, John has repeatedly used the phrase, and you'll see it, you saw it before, you see it in this passage, and you'll see it afterwards, by this we know. And then he goes on to tell us what this is. Well, in our passage this morning, he uses this phrase again a couple of times to help us distinguish between those who are false teachers and those, and not genuine Christians, and those who do genuinely believe in the name of the Son of God and are genuine believers. John assures us, he, he wants to assure you this morning, and he assures us of the genuineness of our faith by showing us what the counterfeit looks like. What's not real? These evidences are. They are assuring marks of the Christian faith. And, and John gives them to help these beloved, beloved, these dear friends, these little children, so that they won't waver in their gospel commitment. Remember in 5.13, at the end of this book, John says this, listen, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That's the purpose of John writing this letter. I want you to be assured. I want you to know, even in the midst of a culture and, and spirits, people, false teaching, in the midst of a culture opposed to the gospel, opposed to your Christian faith, that, that is hostile to you and will grow more hostile to you, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to know you have eternal life. And I'm going to give you evidences as to why. So how do we know? First, we know, number one, because we confess that the incarnation is true. John starts out by saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear and test what these former members, these false teachers are saying to see if it's true. Compare it to the gospel you know because they're preaching a different gospel that represents the spirit of this age and not the spirit of God. And what is the spirit of this age? What does, what does it look like? How do you know it's the spirit of the age? Well, Jesus says it, it's wolves who've come in sheep's clothing. That what is what is most dangerous and what can bombard you most is not what often comes from the outside. Is that what often happens inside the church? 
It's easy to spot the false teachings of Hinduism and Buddhism and Jehovah Witnesses and Islam and Mormonism and the like. But the erosion, the internal erosion of of adhering to biblical truth in the evangelical world is happening every day and it's more subtle. And that erosion is gaining ground every day. I recently read this on a website called, the name of the website is Jesus is a Liberal. That's the name of the website. You need to hear what is being taught, what is, what is inundating the world and the web and the Christian church. This is what they write. No matter your Christian denomination, Jesus is a liberal. So what does the term liberal Christian mean? Liberal Christian is an umbrella term for any liberal member of the many Protestant denominations or churches within denominations who view the Bible as the witness of God rather than as the word of God. We liberal Christians come from a vast array of denominations, including Anglican, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, United Church of Christ, and yes, even Baptist. As such, while we are liberal Christians, we do not believe the exact same things. For example, beliefs vary from the literal to the symbolic belief in Jesus Christ as God's incarnation. Most believe that the Bible's account is primarily symbolic, that God created the scientific laws and the very fundamental process of the universe and all of life, e.g. evolution, which are continually being revealed by modern science. In other words, the real God and the real of where all knowledge comes from is science. Not the Bible, not the God of all creation, not the sovereign one, but science. We believe in God, faith, science, and evolution. Most of us do not believe that humanity inherited original sin from Adam and Eve or that Satan actually exists. But we do believe that God is good and made people inherently good. And in that vein, we believe in free will and recognize our imperfect nature, wow, (laughs) which leads some to choose immoral, illegal, and even evil behavior. And while we may disagree with individual choices regarding abortion and homosexuality and so forth, we are tolerant of others' choices and personal life's decisions. That... You think, oh, that is so extreme that there's just, no, I mean, that, that will never happen here. Beware. Take heed. Stand firm lest you fall. There is a man named Rob Bell who is a widely listened to quote, evangelical pastor preacher who is at major conferences throughout the world. And he is, he's got books <clears throat> in every Christian bookstore. Go to, go to um, what's the Christian bookstore website? CBD. Go to CBD and look. Here's what Rob Bell recently wrote in a book about hell. 
A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. And so John commands us to test and to weigh out, to see what they say. Is it true? Is it true? He he wants us to, to test. I have, I don't know about you, the older you get, but I have a recurring nightmare where I... I'm in, it's in, and I'm not, it's a dream or nightmare, but I, I'm in my dream or my nightmare, and I wake up in the morning, and I get to class in college, and I realize I have a test, that I had no idea I had a test, and I never studied for. Has anybody ever had that nightmare? Yes. Keep raising, yes, good. I'm not alone. You're all in the same class with me, most likely. It's a, it's a horrible nightmare. It's, and it, the problem was that actually happened to me in high school. I did wake up at times and I hadn't studied because um, I was a bit lax in my study habits. Well, this, that test is, <laughs> that's a challenging thing. But this test here that John is giving is an easy one. And in verse 2, he says this, by this you know. So you want to know what the test is. You want to know how they're false spirits. You want to know, this is what he says, by this you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Do they confess that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh? Is he truly God incarnate? The proof of our salvation, John says, is that we confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. And those who do not pass this test are not believers, but antichrists who oppose the message of the gospel. That's strong words. It's not that they're just unbelievers. John says they're antichrists. They're against Christ. They're opposed to the gospel. And they're, at times, among us. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. These antichrists have gone into the world distorting the message, the true message of Christ. And and, and you see it. One example, particularly with respect to the incarnation, is the view and approach to Christmas. The goal of the Antichrist is to secularize the message of the incarnation, the very heart of the gospel. Without the incarnation, there is no gospel. And Christmas is all about the incarnation. It's what we celebrate. It's the, it's the event of the incarnation. what we celebrate. It's one of the greatest opportunities we have as a church to make Christ known to others. 
Instead, this remarkable event is buried underneath an avalanche of commercialism and humanistic sentimentalism, and Satan has had a field day disguising the truth of Christ's incarnation in the very, very event, Christmas, the, the celebration of his birth. This is why our confession is so crucial, and it is a vital part of our faith. It's what we proclaim, and it's, the, it's what brings us assurance that we belong to Christ. We confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Oh, holy night. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. It sets us apart from the world. How do we know? How do we have assurance? We confess what is true. Secondly, we can know because we overcome the spirits of the Antichrist. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John reminds his readers, he reminds us that our identity is in Christ as God's possession. Little children, you are from God, is what John says right here. You want, you want assurance? You want to be confident that you are born again, that you belong to Jesus, that you abide in him and he in, he in you? Look at this verse in verse 4. Little children, you are from God. If you confess, if you confess that He has come in the flesh, that Jesus has come in the flesh. You believe in the incarnation. You believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 23 of chapter 3, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there are others, and we love one another. If we believe that, you are from God. And because you are from God, he goes on to say, listen, when you are from God, verse 24 of chapter 3, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. In other words, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he goes on to say here in verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you, God, in spirit, he who is in you is greater than all of the false teaching, all of the antichrist, all of this junk that is coming at you, you are overcoming. You are overcoming. False prophets, false teachers, former members who have left the faith, and those who stand with the spirit of the world have all been overcome because of the one who is in you and has overcome the world. John writes in John 16, 33, Jesus stands up, And says, I have overcome the world. Robert Yarbrough comments on that verse, on John 16, 33, where Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Yarbrough says this, on the lips of a man who is accurately predicting his imminent death and admitting his profound travail of soul, the words are baffling. They seem to contradict the reality of surrounding circumstances. He's getting ready to be crucified. But that is probably the point. Surrounding circumstances are not the ultimate consideration. For Christ, on that evening, the overarching will of God was rather the controlling image. That image promised the light of glory beyond the abyss of the cross. 
In this passage, John is not denying the struggle they face or even the threat of slippage, if not by but not failure by some. He well understands the defection from the community of the faithful is a real possibility, but he appeals to those who he trusts will hold fast to his words. Yet John's confidence, while it extends to his readers, is not grounded in them. They will prevail. And this is what he's meaning about verse 4. They will prevail only because the one who is among you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one in the world is the Antichrist and the forces he commands. The one whom believers share is Christ. His powerful presence guarantees his followers' arrival at the destination to which he beckons them. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And John, rightly so, is an optimist. He, he tells these men and women that they've prevailed over the evil forces that have been arrayed against them because God's Spirit dwells in them. He declares victory. He believes these dear children have defeated the enemy because Jesus has already won the day and the spirit that raised him from the dead that secured victory over Satan is now theirs. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, John's confidence is that Christ's saving and his transforming work is continuing to work in these people's lives. They're experiencing what all of us experience when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. You're battling sin, victory over sin. You feel like you don't change much, but you're becoming more like Christ. You feel like you just, you read the Bible and it just doesn't always make sense to you, but by His Spirit, you will grow in biblical wisdom. You'll grow in biblical discernment. And when you are under assault, when you face a hostile world, when you face opposition to the gospel, when you face opposition because you stand for Christ, when that happens, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You have overcome. It doesn't mean a sinless perfection in life. It doesn't mean that you don't ever fail or make mistakes. It doesn't mean that. It means that because God's Spirit is in you, that you have, you have confessed that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, and you believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, His Spirit dwells in you, and you overcome. And even when you feel defeated, even when you are accused, even when you struggle with condemnation, Paul tells you there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because of God's indwelling spirit, brothers and sisters, we can stand firm and we can remain courageous in a declining culture. We can stand firm because we have the armor of God. So, we confess what is true. We overcome the spirits of Antichrist in this world. And thirdly, we can, how do we know? 
How do we know we're God's? We can know because we listen to the truth of Scripture. Verse 5 and 6. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. In other words, here, here's the inundation of falsehood. Here's the, here's the lies, here's the distortions, here's the heresy. They speak from the world, and here's the sad thing, the world listens to them. I could name a dozen well-known Christian conference speakers who speak more from the world than they do from the gospel. Now, I'm not responsible to harshly judge these men and, and women, and I do not want to. But I want to responsibly warn you about these people because their books and messages on the internet proliferate the Christian community. And subtlety creeps in. And we must be careful. And so we know, as he goes on, John goes on, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John is talking about apostolic teaching in verse 6 when he says, Whoever knows God listens to us. He's talking about the apostles, the authors, the caretakers of Scripture. And he's not only meaning listening. He's not talking about just listening here on a Sunday morning to teaching, but he's talking about being a lifetime student of the Bible and hearing God speak to you from every page of Scripture. That you are a listener of truth. You're a listener of the Word of God. And that when you sit down and you read the Bible, God speaks to you. It's just not limited to what happens here on Sunday morning. And who we listen to will determine who we are. And it will determine, are we from God or are we, are we from the world? The world babbles on. The world celebrates its own wisdom as it attempts to drown out biblical truth. Attack the incarnation. Attack the incarnation and you create doubt about Christ. Distort biblical truth and you create confusion about everything. Human wisdom is bankrupt and following its pathway only leads to death. In Proverbs 9, I'm not going to go there, but Proverbs 9 verses, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18 read the contrast between the woman wisdom who calls out to those who are simple along the street. Her, her voice calls out and, and she tries to draw those who are simple into wisdom and then Later on in, in chapter 9, you read, there's wo woman folly. And she cries out even louder, trying to get the attention of, of the simple. And what you see are these two competing voices. One is wisdom and one is folly and death. One leads to life and one leads to eternal death. And, and that is what, what John is saying here. Which one are you going to listen to? The consequences of choosing the wrong speaker could not be more frighteningly illustrated in Proverbs 9. 
And in contrast to these babblers here in in verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The words and, and wisdom of Scripture, they should drown out. The words of those who speak by the Spirit of the Antichrist. God's Word should speak to us. We should, we should be hearing God's Word, influencing the way we live and, and think and speak. And even though, even though we don't always hear rightly and we don't always respond rightly, a Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-olds. After explaining the commandment to honor thy father and mother, she asked, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little boy answered, Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> we don't always respond rightly. We don't always hear rightly. Learning, learning is a journey. And if we're students of Scripture, we will grow in our assurance that we are from God. And that's what, that's what John writes here. We are from God. And then he goes on and say, How do you know? Whoever knows God listens to us, listens to apostolic teaching, listens to truth. If we are students of Scripture, our view of life and our response to life, regardless of the circumstances, that's going to reflect the grace and wisdom of God to a world that is blinded by the God of this world. It's not just about us. We represent something. And what we believe and what we confess and how we live and how we view life through, through the apostolic teaching... That says something to the world around us. We, we are to be a light to the world. We are not to hide this truth under a bushel. We are to stand for something. We are to reflect in our lives the grace and the wisdom and the power of God. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I, I feel woefully inadequate describing the depths and the riches of knowing God's word because it's a treasure that defies description. But, but let me give you a taste. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, but it bears repeating. Over the past three months, a, a group of us have been meeting on Saturday mornings, studying the book of Job in, in concert with studying uh, Christopher Ashe's commentary on the book of Job. The treasures of truth that we have found in, in this book of Job are amazing. It has been who knew that the gospel was so prominent in what seems like obscure speeches by Job and his, his misguided friends? Who, who knew you could learn so much about the gospel and about the details of Christ's suffering on the cross in the book of Job? Who knew you could learn all about the doctrine of hell and God's sovereignty in the book of Job? The gospels give very few details about Jesus' suffering on the cross. But if you want to know what Jesus' suffering on the cross looks like intimately, read the book of Job. Who knew? This study, and you can ask every person who's involved in this study, it's created an insatiable appetite for God's word. 
And more than that, it's taught us much about God that has been life-transforming for us. John closes in verse 6 with this wonderful benefit of being students of Scripture. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We will know the difference between biblical truth and worldly wisdom, the error of worldly wisdom. It will protect us from bad thinking and bad decisions. Why? Because this has wisdom for us. That doesn't have the kind of exact answers you want. Should I buy the Lexus or the Mercedes? Both. <laughs> what, what? I mean, how do I steward God's money? You know, I mean, there is wisdom to be had in this book. So how do we know? We confess, we overcome, and we listen. That's what John is teaching us. Now, our application is, let me encourage you in application. Three things. One, seek to grow in doctrinal clarity. Don't believe everything you hear or read or or are told simply because someone professes to be a Christian and they're saying it. Take them through the gospel test. Incarnation, atonement, resurrection, Take them through the gospel test. Seek to grow in doctrinal clarity. I mean, that's the very first part. Listen, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's doctrinal clarity. Secondly, seek to grow in doctrinal courage. Don't be fearful when proclaiming the truth of Scripture, even to a hostile hostile world that opposes the gospel. Believe that by the Spirit of God you will overcome. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then finally, seek to grow in doctrinal knowledge. And I will close with this. Seek to grow in doctrinal knowledge. Proverbs Proverbs 1, verse 7, encourages us to this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And this this is how he ends. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Seek to grow in doctrinal clarity. Seek to grow in doctrinal courage. And seek to grow in doctrinal knowledge. Become a student of God's word. Become a student of God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us your word to be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet that we can walk rightly before you, that we can live rightly before you. Thank you that you have given us a confession that 
is life transforming. You've regenerated our hearts by your spirit. You've indwelt us by your spirit. You empower us by your spirit. You guide us by your spirit. You teach us by your spirit. You convict us by your spirit. And one day, you will glorify us by your spirit. Lord, thank you that we can profess this morning that we belong to you. In Christ's name, amen. Our benediction for this morning is from 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great day. Love you all. See you next week.